Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot of Australians are really interested in sort of what's going on constantly, you know, at work or just passing in the... Street, I go at a fruit and veg shop. I go to people pick up on my accent and just, you know, some people are like, what, What's with Trump? What are you doing? Shows like Planet America on ABC. I mean, I think there's such a, a, a love to hate relationship possibly with American politics, a, lo- a love of it, but also, you know, a, a complete disdain and complete baffled by the state of the US as well. Well, hello, lovely people of podcasts, and welcome to another episode of Australian Politics Live. You are with Catherine Murphy, the political editor of Guardian Australia, and this week I'm delighted to introduce my guest, or perhaps my guest can introduce himself. Kent, welcome to the show. Hi, Catherine. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm the current chair of Democrats Abroad Australia, so thanks for having me on. Thanks for the chat. No worries. There's so much to talk about this week, given I think a lot of regular listeners to this pod would have been glued to the first uh, presidential debate Mm. in America earlier in the week. But first of all, I want to get into Kent's operation and what he's doing. So, But why don't we start with you? Because obviously you're an American living in Australia. How did you come to settle in Adelaide? Well, I'm an import to Australia. I came here nine years ago. I've been in Adelaide for about five years, four years in Melbourne before that. Very happy to call it home, have a home back in the US, but also uh, now to call Adelaide home as well. So I've been here for five years and been involved with the Democrats Abroad Australia organization for the past three years. Mm -hmm. Have you always been a Democrat? Have you always been politically active? I have. I have always registered uh, registered Democrat when I first turned 18. And, you know, because obviously I believe really in the goals which we aspire to. I mean, that that goal of economic equality, these broader goals of, of true democracy and spreading that as well. Um, I became, I suppose, politically active at university, as a, as a lot of people do, primarily around uh, the opposition to the Iraq war. I thought it was very unjust. So that's when it became uh, politically active and in the environment of uni. And I really got into the first presidential campaign. I volunteered for Barack Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, obviously very inspired like many, many others. So now tell us about your operation. You've said Mm. it's Democrats Abroad Australia. And so it's 
presumably you're you're focused at the moment on getting the vote out mm. in Australia. So tell us what you tell us what you've been up to. Absolutely, yeah. Well, to start off, Democrats abroad, Australia is one of about forty five country chapters of Democrats abroad, a global organization that has members in almost two hundred countries around the world, and we represent all the interests of U.S. citizens who identify as Democrat living overseas. And yes, obviously, you know, the biggest thing is that we are here to get out the vote. Just have to make the plug. If any U.S. citizen is listening, <laughs> there's still time to send the ballot in. Uh, easily can do that at votefromabroad.org. That's where you request your ballot. And if you're an Australian listening and know a U.S. citizen, please ask them to vote and pass on our details. Yeah, I did see even today uh, the American embassy in Canberra was out on social media basically trying to connect with American citizens in Australia and and point them towards voting resources. Mm-hmm. So it is funny Kent in the Australian context and you've been here so long now you'll you'll know you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm. It's it's funny for Australians to think about getting out the vote mm. as as a thing you have to do in elections, right? We obviously have compulsory voting in this country you guys do not. Mm. Uh, And so it's sort of, um, it takes us a minute to wrap our heads around that whole enterprise. You know, it's sort of strange to me as a long-time political reporter how much resources that countries that don't have compulsory voting systems have to put into just getting the vote out, uh, just in Mm. terms of party machines, right? So what are you detecting amongst sort of American expats here? Are are people absolutely limbered up and lining up to vote or are Mm. you having to shove them out with pitchforks, you know, sort of (laughs) direction (laughs) of getting their materials? Like what's the vibe? Yeah, well, Catherine, the first point as well, yeah, absolutely right about the get out the vote uh, and and the races come down to that in, in some point. And, and there's many races that are determined by absentee ballots. My home state of Kentucky in a special election last year for the governor. It's rare that election years happen in between the midterm elections and the presidential elections, but this was a special governorship election and the margin was within the number of absentee ballots cast around the world uh, for that race. So it's direly important. I mean, the get out the vote. Yeah, I, I met with really a lot of confusion when I sort of tried to explain that and people were just like, what? And, you know, because it's not compulsory voting. <laughs> but the races are determined by that margin. And many races in the midterm elections were determined by that. As far as the people here in Australia, uh, people are pretty much lining up to vote that we what we have seen. We've, we've seen our membership grow substantially in the past several months. Earlier this year, we had the global presidential primary. So, but people are very yep. amped up to vote now. And I think especially now after, you know, this first debate we saw yesterday, uh, midday our time, that, you know, we're being contacted constantly, all of our national leadership and our, our chapter representatives are just fielding so many questions. Okay, roll yeah. back just a, a fraction where you said in the primary, right, that there was a lot of interest during the primary selection period for a candidate, also a different element of the US political system to ours. Were people animated, we'll we'll get back to Trump, but were people Mm. animated in that primary season because they had strong views about who the candidate should be? Is Is that why people were motivated? Oh, absolutely. It was a really challenging year, obviously, because we at our primary time, we are primary week that's allowed for Democrats abroad globally was the 3rd to the 10th of March. We selected ours to be on the Saturday the 7th to coincide with, you know, the sort of standard Australian election day on a Saturday because the U.S. day is on a Tuesday that's based off some old rule about how long your horse 
takes from your farm and all this sort of thing. It's a very old rule of why it's the voting days on a Tuesday <laughs> in the U.S. But uh, we saw from four years ago, we saw about almost a 70 percent increase in our voter turnout. We had eight voting centers uh, with sort of a ballot um, assistance mm-hmm. events and across seven cities. Um, from um, from the East Coast, including one in Perth as well, which we didn't have four years ago. So we saw a huge turnout for that as well. And obviously people were really passionate about the primary process because there was obviously a lot of candidates. And by the time that our election occurred on the 7th, it had narrowed at least all the others, whether they, they had dropped out or they'd announced that they were suspending their campaigns. It was only the remaining ones were mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders, Joe mm-hmm. Biden. I think Tulsi Gabbard was still in the race at that stage. So all of these other, there was 20-something candidates before, and only three m- remained by that, by that day as well. Mm. And uh, did I see, uh, when I was researching for our conversation, did I see a reference perhaps to a previous interview of yours that you were active for Sanders? So so tell me about that. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your views about what Democrats think of, uh, about Biden, which we'll mm. get to in a minute, um, and his prospects against Trump. But were people energized because they were massive Biden people or massive Bernie people or, or mm. what was what was the why were people so energized look I think uh, personally I was involved uh, certainly four years ago I'm heavily involved in the Bernie Sanders campaign and you know obviously thought a lot of his ideas were really transformative for the US as well I personally supported Bernie this time I was a, a Sanders elector but our primary results because we did have some uh, votes prior to the day uh, there was a fair, there was a fair few for Elizabeth Warren as well, but really sort of came down to Bernie and Biden sort of mm-hmm. on the day. So our results, I think, were about sixty-seven percent for Bernie Sanders and about twenty-three percent for Joseph Biden in that primary. So I think a lot of people really were, and that that was about the the results for the global as well across Democrats abroad globally. So similar to that to the results we had here in Australia. So I think people are really inspired mm-hmm. by those ideas. I think the rallying cries of Medicare for All, a Green New Deal, an economy that works for everyone are really inspiring ideas that, that certainly, you know, a lot of in the party, a lot of these progressives that we see like Alexander Ocasio-Cortez and many others are, are taking up that, um, and that, that, will be, that will certainly form the future of the Democratic Party as well. I imagine there's, a, um, there's an appeal among those sort of new Democrat type candidates, the AOC and uh, mm. Sanders and others, that this may appeal to young people just mm. based on the sort of mini fandom in my home about <laughs> about these characters, right? Is there anything, any interesting characteristics in terms of people in Australia coming mm. forth and wanting to be active and wanting to vote in both internal party procedures and also in the election? What are you noticing about newbies, people who mm. are putting up their hand and saying, oh, hi, actually, I really want to become involved, I really want to vote. Mm. What are you noticing about those people? What are, what are they What are they like? Yeah, one of the really inspiring elements is I think that it's such a diversity, I think, to that movement in general across age, gender, racial identity. I think, that, I think it really captures a lot. I'm reminded something recently quoted Jesse Jackson, an old presidential candidate who's talked of like the Rainbow Coalition, but all these different groups. And, you know, we're seeing that sort of in these grassroots movements that are popping up that support a lot of these ideas and candidates. So I think that there's there's a real element to that. And yes, it is. I mean, certainly on the issues of 
of climate change and climate justice and ecological sustainability, proponents for the Green New Deal in the states, we have the Sunrise Movement, is being run by young people. And I think that's really inspiring. Um, and I see that a lot of that energy happening in the U.S. And to a large extent here as well, I think that there is that sort of you know distance as well. We, we as Democrats abroad, really the biggest thing we do is sort of getting out the vote. And we obviously try to align with these other interests. There is sort of a limit that we're limited by in terms of federal election commission rules. There's actually rules apply to us being in other countries that we can't uh-huh. sort of officially partner with any other political party or what's considered a PAC, a political action committee in the U.S., even though yeah. it doesn't really apply overseas. So there's that, unfortunately, there's that sort of inhibits us in really um, becoming part, ingrained part of that grassroots movement globally. But we're all, we all, you know, intersect with these issues and we try to inspire that that sense of activism in people as well to, you know, not just vote, but, you know, volunteer, be part of other causes. Um, because I think that the, the that's really where the passion is, I think, and especially something, speaking of, you know, the existential threat of global warming that we are going to have to deal with, that we have to, we have to deal with, you know, they're saying that's really being led by the younger generation. And that's, it's really inspiring to see mm. that. So you're a Bernie man, but do you think the Democratic base is going to turn out for Biden in mm. this contest? Because obviously that was a problem for Hillary Clinton mm. in the last election cycle, as you know, right? She suffered from a lack of, uh, uh, well, I mean, she got many, many more votes than Trump, but right. in, that's yeah, your electoral system. But but I mean, in terms mm. of the, the Democratic base, right, turning out for mm. the candidate, there were obviously some issues there that may have contributed to her loss. So you're the Bernie man, Kent. Is the Democratic base going to turn out for Joe Biden? What's going to happen? Absolutely. No, I think four years ago, I think there was some friction on that. I think one of the biggest elements were were the, the voters who did not vote. Like we said earlier about that not being compulsory voting, people decided not to show up. And I think that was the biggest detriment. I think that the base is so inspired by, you know, the Democratic Party is a big tent party, as we say, and it has a lot of voices therein. And there's going to be some debate after this election, but everything that I'm seeing and what I certainly believe in is we absolutely have to have a Biden-Harris administration so that we can move forward. And that's a lot of, I think, what that what that sort of progressive base is really arguing for is that if we continue with the current administration, there may not be a future. There may not be a, you know, it'll be a democracy left. And it is to that, I hate to say that, as if it's some sort of ultimatum, but it, it's really the case. I mean, what we're seeing is the erosion of democracy, the already questioning, even from the debate of the the integrity of the election and the, the seeds that are being planted about that, under, and in fact, an undermining of democracy and an authoritarian undermining of democracy. And I think many who are involved in these movements, you know, understand that, well, you know, we, we, have, we must have a Biden-Harris administration. They might don't all agree on the same points, of course, but the only way to move forward and the way to progress these ideas is through, you know, a Biden-Harris administration so that we can have this debate going forward. You know, I think that what we have really lost in our political discourse, which has become so divided, is not the fact that it has become so divided, but we're unable to have a a real debate about this and one that doesn't polarize. I mean, we're going to have, I think there was some 
one who I think a lot of, if, if you're a progressive leaning and sort of still struggling with this, I highly suggest listening to Cornell West. Professor Cornell West online has some great thoughts about this because, I mean, he says that we're, we're going to disagree in the public space, but that's okay. I mean, that's political discourse and there's room to be uncomfortable in that. And, you know, I think that it's too often all sorts of myriad of confluence of reasons of why this division has occurred but that, mm. you know, we can actually bring back a proper debate. And the only way forward is with a stable decency that we have to restore with voting Trump out of office and with Biden-Harris. Mm. So you think the Democratic base will rally for Biden, even if even the Bernie crew, you think that'll occur. What about Biden's capacity to appeal to soft Republican voters? Mm -hmm. I ask just because this time last year, I was actually in the States traveling Mm -hmm. with the Prime Minister Scott Morrison, and we went to a Trump rally in Mm -hmm. uh, Wapakoneta, Ohio. And as you do when you're waiting for the guy to come onto the stage, you you talk to people who Mm. are at the event. This is pre-COVID, obviously, where we could all mingle and talk. (laughs) Um, So I was talking to these these Trump folks in Ohio and one couple, retired couple, said to me at that event, look, the only Democrat who's got any prospect of beating Donald is Joe Biden. But mm. the the Democrats are too loopy to to nominate him, right? Mm. And this conversation's always stuck in my head, right? It's a sample of only a couple of people at an event in a small town in America and is not at all scientific or representative. Right. But mm. nonetheless, it was an interesting reflection, mm. right? So again, as someone who is very passionate, very connected, very politically active, how do you rate Joe Biden's potential? to basically pull across soft Republican Mm. votes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I'll say first, I think that, you know, I think there's a, there's a, with, with a Biden Harris administration, I think that that is one where not only can the Democrats really have this debate and he is one who will listen. And I think that is really key and that is often overlooked and that really doesn't make it out into the public discourse and and sort of the media. And that's really unfortunate because I think that there's a lot of debate that's that's still going on uh, that happened in the Unity Task Force with the Sanders-Biden delegations that met on the economy, on climate, on all these different things. But appealing to the soft Republicans, as you say, I, I think that that's actually well and truly happening and happened because I think that um, you hear a lot about the suburban voters that and it was reading some debate analysis before and after the debate and you know talking about how basically Joe Biden didn't need to lose any support but Trump had a lot to gain because he's lost that suburban voter those soft Republicans I think that like you say and who I think have Swept over to Biden because I think that there's former many sort of former Republicans are coming out in support of him. There was something recently I saw that retired generals and admirals in the military supporting Biden. So there, there's actually I think a, a an immense amount of support for Biden from across the aisle, so to say, and and that may present challenges in the future. But yeah, I really think that Trump has really lost that sort of middle ground support that was there for him because they, and they've seen the past four years. I mean, granted that you know, the stock market might, you know, that might go up and some, you know, very rich people might have profited off of the COVID disaster and other things in the past three, four years. But the working people and everyone, whether they identify as Democrat, Republican or independent or another party, haven't seen their livelihood increase. And I think that's a real, very real felt effect. 
And it's really interesting to look at some of the studies that have been done across mainly the Anglo-Western sort of global North countries that look at a lot of our values, even though we have this sort of big politics of division and so forth, really believe that people should help each other out, that we all are in this together. But that's some some core beliefs. And I'm looking at studies from the US and the UK that look at about 75% of people agree with that. And I think that people are actually starting to see that. And I just, I do think that people are just frankly sick and tired of Donald Trump. Um, so I, certainly we are. And, um, but I think that um, the soft Republicans, <laughs> as you say, are coming across for him. Well, uh, well uh, <laughs> I was going to say we hope so, um, mm. <laughs> but that's a bit forward-leading and a bit rude mm. because I'm talking about the politics of your homeland. But mm. look, uh, I think a, a lot of Australians will be hoping that's the case. Just a couple of things quickly. So tell mm. me, obviously, you're getting the vote out. That is your mm. that is your current activity, getting the yep. Australian-based expat vote out. So t- talk to me about the mechanics of that, because obviously COVID must make that difficult for you. Yes. What we're doing is just really focusing more so on our online and our what we, what we call phone banking, that is phone calling to voters, our members here in Australia. So the big thing that we've done, yes, the COVID thing has certainly thrown a spanner in the works. A big component that what we had to shift to was making sure that all of our members had requested requested their ballot in time. So this uh, began earlier, right after the presidential primary that, you know, the months after that. But in June, we really began phone calling to our members. And this was to make sure that everyone had requested their ballot. And we called every single one of our several thousand of our members. We had some great volunteers. One in uh, particular, just uh, want to mention his name on here is Brian Peck from uh, Sydney. has just done an amazing volunteer uh, effort in terms of calling thousands of members that, um, the, the basically, so they request their ballot first for this first time. That was sort of the first sort of call campaign we ran. But then uh, back in August, uh, late July, August was when the current administration started dismantling the postal service. There was removing post boxes mm-hmm. and the dismantling of these postal sorting machines. And not only on top of the fact that obviously delays and just, you know, a pandemic mailing, that mail was delayed on top of that. So we had to ask members to send in what's called a federal write-in absentee ballot. And this is a backup ballot. So it's in sort of it's used in the case of overseas military voters in case of an emergency of when the full ballot is mm-hmm. not received. Two years ago, we were flyering. We handed, we in any election, presidential election year, we'd be at major tourist spots with our signs, you know, universities and open days. We'd leave stuff in, you know, in restaurants that Americans would frequent. So a lot of our, we've really been uh, hitting the phones hard and doing a lot of stuff on online, on social media. Mm-hmm. And tell me, you you watch the debate, obviously, and mm-hmm. you're, you're, you obviously have partisan views, uh, <laughs> but I'm just, <laughs> but I'm genuinely interested in what you made of it. And without being too meta, what you made of the reaction to it, I mm. think, too. So what did, what did you think as, a, as an American or a, American Australian, I should mm. say, of course, an American Australian watching that from afar? Right. What did, what, yeah. how did, what did you think? I watched it last night. I couldn't couldn't watch it during the event. Like many of our members, we hosted an online watch party, uh, and I'll just repeat what some of our members have said. It's, it's it's a fiasco. It's it's just it's just here to cause chaos, and a train wreck is is some of the words that came to mind. You know, and I think a lot of it, it was really 
You know, I, I, I just was watching it and just thought how unfortunate it was really for the American people to have to deal with this as a presidential debate. I mean, this was about, this was really just about a basically bullying tactic, I think, on the current president's behalf, which was just, it was just very appalling. And, you know, I think Biden was really trying to express some of his policy views and, and some it was able to do it on some of them. But, you know, it was constant interruptions. And, you know, I've, I found it very painful to watch. And I think a lot of people did as well. And that's certainly the consensus that is out there in the media. You know, I, I read one recap that I thought was was really really sort of got it. And, you know, it's by a political scientist, a historian in the U.S. and names Heather Cox Richardson. I think she's quite famous for the books that she's written. And she said that it was a performance designed to show a strong man who is calling out to his armed supporters to enable him to seize an election he can't win freely. And tonight was a, it was actually a play in dominance itself. It was overt bullying like he displayed, which is actually a sign of weakness and abuse and not of true power. And I think that really just captured it because certainly at the end, there's something towards near the end of it, you know, that this comment that he made, I don't even sort of want to repeat it, but it was sort of embraced by one of these far right groups, a group that has been labeled a domestic terrorism group. It's one of these sort of militia groups that is, you know, very, has very racist and misogynist views. And they've made a badge with the exact words that he used within hours after the debate. And then towards the end of the debate as well, Trump was talking about, you know, the questioning the integrity of, of the ballots that have been legally submitted by mail and planning the seat or telling, you know, these, these voters to go watch the polls, which is, which is basically incitement to violence. And I, 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 I don't know how to describe that. I think, I think a lot of our members who are just watching this, a lot of Americans, I'm sure many Australians too, are just watching this and just in utter in utter disbelief because this this is a an effective call to arms and it, the and like people like the Anti Defamation League, Southern Poverty Law Centers, which are groups in the U.S. which track and try to resist hate crime, are calling this out as as basically an extremist, exciting violence and an extremist language. And I think that that it's really sad that you know he didn't wouldn't admit to a, tra- a peaceful transfer of power, so it's really challenging. I, I mean, I found I found it very difficult to watch, but you know at the same time it, it is very challenging to witness this happening within a within a democracy, and it really does uh, pose serious threats, I think, to the continuation of that democracy, and why I think it is so important for every U.S. citizen here in Australia to vote, or if you have, if you know U.S. citizens, please get them to vote as well, because, you know, we're, we're in some pretty dire times, and, you know, it could, couldn't be more important to exercise our fundamental right to vote in a democracy. Just last question. Do you think outside the circles of people who are politically engaged or newly politically engaged that Americans are are, are very reluctant to use the term middle America because I Mm. think it's probably as meaningless in your home Mm. country as it is in mine. Mm. But do you think that middle America, for want of a better term, understands the importance of the contest that they are currently in, that that position, that sort of cinematic scope you just gave us about what's really on the line in Mm. terms of democracy or not. Do you think that ordinary Americans in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a recession, Mm. trying to keep body and soul together, understand the stakes of this election? 
I do. I, I absolutely do. And I, th- I think we are seeing that in the, in the interest, everything that I have seen through networks in the U.S., through checking various media sources, I think that people really, really do understand what is at stake. I mean, in the last few years, we've seen the erosion of democracy, the politics of division pitting some of us against another when we have so much in common, and yet this divisive rhetoric that is used it just splits us when we should be united to you know help each other out, make a better um, you know economy that works for all in the U.S. So I do think that, and I, I do like the comment about you know that that there is there is sort of a, a, a mythos that goes with I think this the, the idea of you know middle America and so forth, and that's often talked about and is often put up there as myth. But but frankly, frankly, when we talk about the real experience of all of us, of everyday people, I think people absolutely get it. I mean, I think that they were seeing 200,000 who have died from this pandemic in the U.S. and so many who have just are, are just seeing con- the continuation of their own living conditions being withered away. And, you know, and, and also just watching, you know, the Western, Western seaboard of the U.S. I mean, be subject to one of the most terrific forest fires that we've that we've witnessed. I think that people really see that. And I think they're really taking that into account in this election. And I think people really are amped up to make a difference. And I'm cautiously optimistic and I'm hoping for a big change come the third of November. Okay. Well we will all see in November. Now anybody listening to the show today who knows an American who is interested in what we've just been talking about, who needs to get in touch with Kent and his organization can track you down pretty easily online. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you search for Kent on Google, you will find links and you will find some material that will lead you back to this operation. One just thing before we run, Kent, I did forget to ask you, do do the Republicans have a similar organisation to yours in Australia? I went looking for one and I couldn't find one. Yeah, I I think they have in the past. Their organisation, I think, mainly focuses on taxes but I think that they, there is an organisation to that. I, I'm not sure how active they are, though. Yeah, oh, I couldn't find them online, incidentally. But anyway, that's not your problem and you're not, <laughs> no, not yeah. of great interest to you. But anyway, right. people, can, people can track you down online easily enough. Thank you very much yes. for your time. Thank you to Miles Martignoni, who's the executive producer of this show. Thank you to the lovely Hannah Izzard, who's listening into this remote conversation between us in Adelaide and Canberra today. Thank you all for listening. And it's the budget next week, of course, horror of horror. We will be back then. Thanks so much, Catherine. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, 
Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us.